Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Roberto Bondazan. Roberto is an AI researcher at Qualcomm. Roberto, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Hi, Sam. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our chat. We'll be talking about your paper at ICLR, Probabilistic Numeric CNNs. But before we dig into that, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about your background and how you came to work in AI. Sure. So my background is in physics, and that's how I got into AI, by basically applying deep learning to some physics problems. So before joining Qualcomm, I was working on uh, characterizing phases of matter and their potential for quantum computation. So phase of matter is basically one of the states in which you can find matter or materials around you. And one classical example is provided by the EASY model. So in the EASY model, you have some binary units, some bits, which can be either up or down. And uh, you can find this system in two phases. One order phase, which is uh, at low temperature, where all these uh, units, we call them spins, point in the same direction. And a high temperature disorder phase, where these units uh, point in random directions. It turns out that characterizing phases of, of materials is a very challenging problem. And so researchers in the field, they started to use AI for that. So that's how I got into AI. And as I was, you know, just learning about techniques that were being developed, this was around 2017, 2018 for these problems, I got very interested in AI per se. And then I decided a career shift and to move uh, indeed to do research in AI. At this point, it was also when the paper by Taco Cohen and Max Welling, who are my colleagues at Qualcomm, their paper on spherical CNNs came out. And so at that point, uh, I understood that studying neural networks using insights from physics was a very useful and interesting thing. And that's what I wanted to work on. So did you get, were you familiar with the spherical CNN paper before you came to work with Taco and Max? Yes, yes, definitely. That's indeed uh, one of the links that uh, brought me to Qualcomm, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your research interests. Yeah, so uh, after I joined Qualcomm, I got involved into quite a few exciting projects. So one of them has to deal with the neural data compression. So here, the problem is that you want to compress data to send them over to some receiver. And you can actually use neural networks, in particular, some forms of autoencoder to do that. So that's a quite interesting problem from the theoretical point of view. It involves generative modeling and things like that. But it is also super impactful because it can immediately translate into different ways to compress data. So that's a very interesting direction. Otherwise, uh, I'm also very excited about quantum AI. So after joining Qualcomm, I also had the chance to develop some ideas around quantum deep learning. So this is the uh, you know, intersection between quantum computation and AI. And so here is where also my, my background in quantum physics was quite useful to get started uh, quickly on this field, which is a rapidly developing field, which I think is one of the most interesting directions which can disrupt AI in the future. And finally, uh, more recently, I got interested in also applying machine learning to combinatorial optimization problems. So, you know, in industry, we have a lot of combinatorial optimization problems to solve and so the potential of using machine learning to you know, improve on the classical techniques is very interesting. And again, this is a very interesting you know, area between uh, 
very theoretical uh, mathematical work, which uh, you know is interesting to me and also very impactful work. So yeah, in, a, in summary, I had the chance, you know, of uh, both doing impactful work for society, I would say, at large, but also being able to do some long-term research like quantum AI. So I'm very excited about a few things that are going on at Qualcomm right now. Nice. And when you say combinatorial optimization, yeah. these are problems like traveling salesmen and map coloring and that kind of thing, like classical combinatorial problems? Yeah, precisely. So in fact, in the last few years, maybe three, four years, there's been a, a quite good progress on using deep learning for these problems. So traveling salesmen indeed is the standard paradigm of a, a combinatorial optimization problem, right? When you have a, tra- a salesman, we need to find the optimal tour to visit a series of cities. And so it has, of course, also direct applications in industry, for example, vehicle routing, right, where a company has to deliver stuff and so it needs to find the optimal route. Traveling assessment is certainly a great example. And it also historically has driven most of the research in combinatorial optimization and still it is also in the intersection with machine learning. But also I'm thinking about other problems like cheap design or some problems, combinatorial problems in wireless. So these are also problems that are hard. So, in fact, there are some MP complete uh, problems there. And, uh, you know, these are also very interesting application areas for us. Mm-hmm. So in chip design, that would be things like routing traces on a circuit board or on a chip? Yeah, so there are indeed a few stages of chip designs. And uh, all of them, in fact, involve uh, different combinatorial optimization problems uh, yeah, so as you say, routing, so finding the uh, optimal connections between uh, the different logical gates for memories on a chip canvas. Uh, and also you, you can think about indeed also placing these uh, components on a chip in the optimal way to minimize area and, and stuff like that. Indeed, that this is all very interesting uh, combinatorial problems where you know AI could disrupt. Mm-hmm. And on the wireless side, I'm envisioning applications like uh, frequency allocations. Uh, can you elaborate a bit on the applications on the wireless side? Yeah, sure. Uh, right. Uh, so I have in mind, you know, things like uh, uh, some coding problems where you basically have uh, sent some signal over and then you want to retrieve uh, what was the uh, bit string that was sent, but you know your, your signal has been corrupted by a noisy channel and you want to retrieve that bit string. So that's uh, one example of things that one could do or some other uh, error correcting problems and things like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of a relationship between the combinatorics and kind of information theoretical types of problems and ultimately compression, which is where you spend a bulk of your time. Yeah, absolutely. It is also fair to say indeed that uh, all of these problems, compression, uh, also other problems that we work uh, on uh, in Qualcomm, like quantization, these are all uh, of combinatorial nature. So these are certainly possible use cases for this nascent field of uh, ML for uh, combinatorial optimization. Yeah. Nice, nice. Certainly broad area, yeah. So your probabilistic numeric CNNs paper, what's the problem area that you're addressing there? Sure. So there, the problem area is the um, application of deep learning to um, signals that uh, are uh, not necessarily sampled on a grid. Think about, uh, you know, in many applications of deep learning, you, for example, want to model some time series, and these time series, you know, have not been uh, sampled uniformly. So that's one possible case for uh, the models we we want to develop in probabilistic numeric CNNs. But more generally, the the motivation there 
is really trying to think about the signals that we want to model you know, in machine learning in their continuous formulation, not in their discrete formulation, which is you know, the, the natural formulation you observe when you measure something. And so basically, just to unpack a little bit of the title, right? So the title starts with the probabilistic numeric. So the uh, inspiration for this work is really this field of probabilistic numeric. So you certainly are familiar with the convolutional neural network, so I do not need to introduce that. But so the pro- let me just spend a couple of, uh, of words on probabilistic numerics, which might not be familiar to everyone. So probabilistic numeric is, is a recent field in statistics, which tries to, um, I mean, not necessarily recent, but you know, recently I think there has been a quite uh, big development. And so it tries to quantify the uncertainty that a numerical program has uh, due to the uh, discreteness of the sampling procedure of its input. To make this concrete, let's think about the problem of computing a numerical integral. You know the function that you want to integrate analytically. You can evaluate it everywhere on a continuous range in its domain. But necessarily, you need to sample that function on a discrete sample of, uh, of points because you know your, your memory and time to compute that integral is finite. And so probabilistic numeric tells you a way to uh, derive uncertainty from this sampling procedure. And the way it is done is via Bayesian inference. So uh, in Bayesian inference, one has an agent, a machine learning model, that uh, has a a prior. Here, the prior would be over the set of possible functions that you want to integrate. And in technical terms, it is a Gaussian process. So a Gaussian prior on this set of functions. And then upon measuring that function you want to integrate on some points in your domain, you update your prior to a posterior. And this allows you to immediately translate to some uncertainty on the result of your integral. So now your numerical program will not just return a number, it will return a probability distribution. And this probability distribution will be picked around some value and there will be an uncertainty. So that's your discretization error. So we thought this is quite interesting also for machine learning. And so we um, indeed uh, start from the same philosophical standpoint. The images that we want to model in machine learning, the time series that we want to model, are in fact continuous signal. And so we necessarily need to discretize them because we want to put them in a computer. But this procedure will come with some uncertainty, with some errors. So it is important to quantify those. And so that's basically the motivation behind this work. So yeah. If I could uh, replay that to make sure I'm, I'm understanding with classical numerical programs, like I'm thinking back to Fortran numerical computing in undergrad, like you've got some function and you want to compute an integral for it and you just, you do that. There are established yeah. algorithms for doing that. Uh, what probabilistic layers on top of that is allowing you to look at the function that you're integrating, not as a single function, but as a distribution of functions. And then your kind of classic quantization error now becomes a probabilistic quantization error. Yeah, that, that's a good summary. Thanks. And maybe just to, to clarify, so here we are really looking at the quantization, right, in, in the domain of the function. So the values that the function takes are still continuous. And uh, so that's the kind of quantization we are looking at. And so indeed, uh, in our um, probabilistic numeric uh, CNN, so we start from this idea, and then we develop on top a neural network, 
I just want to interrupt to say that when you say the quantization is in the domain of the function, meaning as opposed to the range, which is your think about your vertical, your amplitude. Here we're talking about you're taking different points in time that are not uniform. And so that's where your quantization is coming in. So you've got a time series, but you're not getting data in every second or millisecond or whatever. It comes irregularly. And you're trying to figure out quantization error based on that irregularity. That's precisely it, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So, and uh, indeed, uh, maybe just to give a little more about the paper. So we, we, we develop the um, you know idea of using probabilistic numeric for deep learning. So the first uh, step in, in this procedure is that we start indeed from a regular sample time series, for example, or even from an image which has been subsampled in a regular way. And what we do is that we interpolate that. So we interpolate that in a probabilistic way. So like exactly like you know probabilistic numerical programs do. And that gives us you know, a posterior distribution over our input. And what we do then on, on this posterior distribution is that we apply a neural net. So now this posterior distribution is a distribution over continuous functions. And so the technical contribution that we make in this paper is to devise a neural network on continuous functions. So typically, your CNN will act on vectors, right? So some uh, array of, of numbers. Here, our probabilistic numerical CNN is defined directly in, in the continuum. And that turns out to be quite powerful and also unlocks new models and new mechanisms for learning. What does that exactly mean? I think yes. you know, I'm so used to thinking about the input to a CNN being a vector. I'm not even sure how to unpack right. it being continuous. Right. So indeed, you're not going to store that function in your computer because of, uh, by definition, indeed, you're going to need to have uh, an infinite number of points if you want to store all, all the values. What you're going to store is, is just some functional form, some code that allows you to evaluate that function, right? And so that's somehow the input to your uh, neural network. So to be precise indeed about what happens, we still have a neural network which works by interleaving linear nonlinear layers. But now, and so the nonlinear layer, you can actually morally understand that it's going to be very similar to what you're used to do. At each point of your function, you apply nonlinearity. But now the real uh, you know, new uh, part of, of the work is about the linear layer. So we devise actually a um, new convolutional layer, which is defined in terms of a linear PDE, a partial differential equation. So this partial differential equation is, is a linear operation on, on an input function, which is the input somehow to the, to the PDE, namely the value that you have uh, uh, the initial condition to your differential equation. So um, what happens is that uh, if you want to impose actually translation equivariance that, that you have you know, in convolutional layer, this restricts the forms of differential equations that you can put in your neural network. And uh, interestingly, one of the uh, simplest things you can do is to use the kind of generalized diffusion equation. So diffusion you know, is a process from physics which... Uh, you can understand that, you know, for example, when you have a glass of water, you put some dye into it, and this dye diffuses over time. And so, similar here, you know, we have our uh, image, which is encoded, you know, in, in some uh, function, and that function gets blurred, similar to the diffusion process over time. So that's really what we uh, mean, you know, by the um, layer on continuous functions. So it is defined formally, 
And uh, it turns out that for certain choices indeed of layers, we can do computations analytically. So we can actually propagate these uh, functional forms in our code analytically. And so that's uh, pretty cool. And so we can, you know, uh, ultimately, uh, we can devise a practical procedure to, uh, you know, start from our input signal, which was, you know, this subsampled uh, signal, then interpolate it. Then we apply this convolutional layer SPDs. We interleave with some nonlinearities. And uh, what we get out after some of these layers and perhaps a pooling and so on, we get out, uh, you know, a prediction. Like, uh, you know, we want to classify this time series, for example, or this input image. And so we want to get out a class label, right? As we do usually. But on top of that, we also get out an uncertainty. And actually, this uncertainty is also there at every intermediate layer. And it's really an uncertainty that is related to the fact that the input signal didn't have maybe information in certain regions of space or time. So in this way, we can characterize indeed what is the error that we make. And more interesting, we can also choose where to sample the signal in order to reduce uncertainty. So these are all the interesting applications that we can think about with this model. Is that latter point, choosing where to sample, is that like a byproduct of going through the process in the same direction, or is it more like going through the process backwards? I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah, it's it's going through the process backwards, you're right. So somehow you you basically find this uncertainty, and this uncertainty would be a function of where you evaluate your inputs, so you can compute some kind of derivative of that with respect to the inputs to minimize the uncertainty. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, you know, that can be useful, you know, when it is, for example, costly to get data points, right? You can optimize yeah. for the points that are most informative or when you have maybe some data on meshes and things like that, you know, where discretization errors are, are important. So there are a lot of interesting use cases. So in this paper, actually, we focused mostly on benchmarking this model on a couple of data sets. So one is the super pixel classification of images. So it's super pixel, you know, is just an image which is subsampled, but again, the, the, the points are not on a grid. So one of the key innovations or contributions, it sounds like, is this PDE layer. Yes. And PDEs arise in, in physics all the time. Like you can, I'm imagining the inspiration of that was thinking about the problem, like the closed form problem and how you might solve it. And then that involves PDEs. But then you get to that so that you, you have this PDE layer that you think needs to be involved in here, but it you have the constraints of translation invariance from CNNs, and then suddenly you're like, okay, diffusion is the answer. And where did that come from? Was that did you recognize diffusion as like a translational independence by thinking about a glass of water, or is that like a known physics thing, or? Yeah, so the um, the way we got there, and actually I uh, I would like at this point to amend one of the big omissions that I've done in the beginning, which is not to acknowledge that the first author of this paper is Mark Finzi, who was doing a, an internship with us last summer. So he's really the, the main driving force in this project. And so, you know, Mark came up with this proposal, and I guess it was a bit of a mixture of two things. One thing was intuition. And the other thing, maybe coming from physical reasoning, and the other thing was also just, you know, mathematical formalism. So we wrote down, you know, the most general, basically local linear layer in the form of the PDE. And then, you know, basically this turned out to be diffusion when you impose translation invariance. 
And actually, we also did a, something a bit more general. So we also considered the, you know, symmetries like rotation and things like that. So we talked a little bit about spherical CNNs at the beginning. So there is a, you know, interest in the community in characterizing equivariance under more general symmetries. And so it turns out that, uh, you know, beautifully also in this context, we can get PDEs which are equivariant uh, under more general transformations like rotations and things like that. And that's actually quite interesting, I believe, because uh, one of the problems with uh, getting to work uh, also the uh, equivariance under rotation, say, is that you necessarily need to discretize things on a lattice. And so at that point, the rotation for a certain angle becomes pretty tricky to get it to work well. And necessarily, you know, you will have some error, which is due to the basically mesh of your lattice and so on. In this context, we avoided this problem. So our model is defining the continuum and, you know, it is basically equivariant under arbitrary rotations. So that's a pretty cool, I think, feature and also equivalent on the arbitrary translation. So that's, I think, a pretty cool feature too. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'll just interject really quickly that the this whole idea of equivariance and spherical CNNs and gauge equivariance is a big focus of the AI research team there at Qualcomm. And for folks that want to dig in more, probably the best place to start is the first interview I did with Max Welling on gauge equivariant CNNs, where we talk about a lot of this, what equivariance is and why it's important. And we'll drop yeah. a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, thanks. I also listened to that. It was a great episode. Awesome. Awesome. So you were talking about benchmarking. Yeah, indeed. So I was talking about the fact that we benchmarked on a couple of data sets. So the first one was this uh, uh, super pixel images. So you start from uh, an image and suppose it is defined on a grid and then you subsample it. So you, you take away some of these points in such a way that then it becomes the grid structure is lost. And, you know, at this point, uh, your regular CNN will not work well for this data type. There are a few other competitors out there, but it turns out that our model uh, basically established a new state of the art for this task. So three times reduction in the test error. And so uh, this was quite uh, encouraging. And we also applied, uh, you know, the uh, model to a medical time series. So in this case, you can think about, you know, a patient who goes to the hospital and then, you know, for example, um, the doctor measures blood pressure or things like that. And this is done at irregular times, right? So this is also a good case of a irregular time series. And then based on these measurements, you want to predict, you know, if the patient will uh, recover or things like that. And in fact, uh, so these are pretty important data sets to, to look at. And so we also apply the, our, our model to these data sets and show competitive results there too. We basically... Uh, think that uh, this point of view is very powerful. And yeah, in fact, we have a few future directions uh, in mind that uh, came after this work. And what are those? Right. So one of the interesting directions for this work, in my opinion, uh, is to connect it to quantum computation. In fact, uh, one of the uh, promising platform for quantum computation is a so-called quantum optical computer. So here, optical means that you, you use light as the basically unit of information that you want to manipulate. And it turns out that there are uh, states of light that people know how to build in, in a lab, which uh, are closely related to Gaussian processes. So there is a beautiful connection here between states of light and Gaussian processes. And immediately this spurs a connection also between you know, our model and um, a possible generalization 
to a quantum uh, um, model, so a quantum neural network. And so I'm excited about this because it seems to me a very natural uh, way to encode the data via this relationship between Gaussian processes and certain states, Gaussian states of light. So that's, I think, a very natural way to encode data in a quantum computer, which operates with optical elements. And therefore, you know, there is also a nice way to interpret the probabilistic numeric neural network from this point of view of quantum information and quantum optics and quantum mechanics. So there is a big direction here that I'm excited about, which spurred out of this paper, actually, and this new way to think about inputs to a neural network and think about neural networks. And is the primary connection there thinking about continuous functions, or is there also this aspect of missing or irregularly sampled data? Yeah, I would say both. So the, the fact that the, indeed you have continuous function uh, relates to what uh, you know, physicists call uh, basically a kind of model that physicists use, which is called the quantum field theory. So the quantum field theory is also a continuous uh, field. And so your continuous field classically, right, which is your function, which is continuous, becomes now a quantum function. So it becomes a quantum field. Mm-hmm. And this is quite exciting, I think, because this, you know, these quantum fields are relevant for describing elementic, uh, elementary particles. So that this kind of experiments that you see you know, in these big colliders like CERN and so on. So this continuous formulation allows you to make a very interesting connection between very different fields, which are described by very similar formalism. And so this is a very interesting thing. And also the sampling, uh, the irregularly sampled nature of the inputs is also, I think, naturally captured in terms of these Gaussian states of light that I was talking about. So yes, I would say both, uh, in my opinion, are very natural candidates, you know, that allow you to, I think, propose interesting models for quantum uh, neural networks. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the, you talked about kind of the, Going back to the benchmarks, the subsampled images, and the healthcare time series, is there also a compression application for this paper as well? No, I would say that uh, compression was not our main focus, but uh, I can see maybe where you're going. So you, if you can condense you know, your input in some mean and covariance of, of, a, of a Gaussian, that's maybe also a way to think about it. You've compressed it to a few numbers. So that's an interesting spin that uh, I didn't think about. So it was not really our focus here, but yeah, might be. Got it. Cool. So again, this is a paper that you're presenting at ICLR. What else does Qualcomm have going on at the conference? Sure. So um, another paper uh, is from my colleagues, uh, Thies Farrosendal and uh, Iris Halben and Taco Cohen. So this paper is about adaptive uh, neural compression. So here, we talked a little bit uh, before, you know, about uh, what is the idea of neural compression, so neural codex. And so typically, there is a, a problem, which is the problem that, uh, you know, you want to have a small neural network because you want to have a low computational burden to do this codex process. But at the same time, a low, neural ne- uh, low complexity neural network will, will typically, uh, you know, not generalize well, right? So... And so the idea here of the authors uh, in this paper that we present uh, at ICLR was to do uh, adaptive or fine-tuned compression. So the idea is that, uh, okay, you have trained your model on some training data, and now you deploy it. But it turns out that, you know, the test data can be different from the training data. As I said, you can suffer from generalization problems. 
But uh, you can imagine now uh, that uh, in a scenario where, for example, your sender, you know, is at your sender side of the data, you can you, you're willing to spend compute time, and you know you are sending this data to this compressed data to some low power devices like mo- mobile phones, and uh, in this scenario, it makes sense, you know, that at your sender time you can fine tune your codec on the test data, and then on top of sending the uh, transmitted image or video to your mobile phone, you also send some bits that are related to the difference in the weights of your uh, adaptive neural network codec. And so the, the authors indeed show that you can indeed reserve some bandwidth for this uh, delta in the weights in, on top of the bandwidth for, for the stream of the, the video that you want to send. And uh, it turns out that if you do that, and if you jointly optimize uh, the model to do the, the best possible thing, so to minimize the rate the number of bits that you transmit and opti- uh, maximize uh, the uh, reconstruction accuracy, you actually can do better if you do this procedure, you know, of sending over some of, of bits for your daily weights than if you just, you know, occupy the whole bandwidth for your stream. So that's a pretty promising, I think, direction which can have a few interesting applications, direct application in Python, also for Qualcomm. I think this one was counterintuitive for me. I may be misremembering the information theory, but I thought like Nyquist or Hammond or Hemming or something like that said that it doesn't matter how you chop up your channel. If you have a fixed bandwidth, there's some certain maximum throughput that you'll be able to get. But here you're kind of splitting your channel into uh, in-band and out-of-band or something like that and getting better results. Yeah, so here the idea is really that you want to uh, basically uh, send a certain number of bits, right? Mm-hmm. So that's your the rate that you are willing to, to send. So that's somehow uh, the uh, amount of uh, information that you would like to send. And at that point, uh, you would like to do the best possible job given that constraint. So what is the choice of my codec, of my uh, you know encoder, right, mm-hmm. to give me the best description? of my input in such a way that when I decode it, I get the highest reconstruction quality. And so that's the setup. And so in this setup, uh, what we showed is that you can actually uh, reserve some of these bits that you transmit for the you know, uh, weights. And so that was a, a new idea that uh, people have not thought about. And in this setting, this is beneficial. But you're right, there are certainly some uh, theoretic bounds to the, you know, great distortion uh, performance that you can achieve, but, you know, we are certainly within these bounds. And, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, yeah, we're talking about the thing that I was thinking about, it applies to the theoretical bounds, but we're not not there yet, so we have some ability to operate within that envelope. Yeah, I would say getting closer to the bound with this procedure than without. Got it, got it. Cool. Any other uh, papers, uh, Qualcomm AI research papers at ICLR? Yes, certainly. There are a few other papers. I can uh, highlight um, a paper by my colleague uh, Pim Dehan, who is a PhD student of Max, and he has a paper on mesh CNN. So here the idea is that you have tasks uh, or meshes like shape segmentation or 3D shape reconstruction and things like that. And so you would like to use a graph neural network for these tasks, but uh, graph neural networks suffer from the problem that uh, they, are, they are oblivious to geometry. So by definition of the graph structure, they do not have information about the geometry. So in particular, if you have you know a vertex with two edges connected to it, 
It doesn't matter if you move these edges around, basically, because the convolution neural networks do not see the angle between the, these edges. And so the idea of this mesh CNN is to use gauge equivariance uh, tools to build this geometry into graph neural networks. And it turns out that if you do that, you get much better results uh, for these tasks on meshes. Okay. So we have also other works on um, temporal localization of actions. Uh, so and um, and also we are organizing together with uh, UC Irvine and uh, Disney Research. Uh, we are organizing a workshop at ICLR, a workshop on neural compression. So um, that's uh, certainly an excited opportunity to get together with the experts in information theory, communication, and, and deep learning to indeed further advance this effort of, of getting better codecs using neural networks. Nice, nice. So we spoke earlier on kind of where you saw the probabilistic numeric research going kind of more broadly when you think about your research area and the area of your team. What, what are you most excited about? Where do you see that going? Yeah, so indeed we spoke earlier and uh, I was hinting at uh, quantum neural networks. So this is yep. certainly something that uh, I believe uh, would be uh, a drive for innovation in AI in the future. Last couple of years, I've seen a tremendous excitement in the quantum computing community, you know, with the supremacy experiments. So we are really at an era where we are starting to, to seriously think about uh, these things. And so it's really timely, I think, to get serious about, uh, you know, thinking about how can you use quantum information, quantum computation to um, enhance uh, machine learning. So that's, I think, a very exciting place to be. It is true that, uh, you know, it, it is still a recent field and there's certainly a lot to do. And it is still an open question to figure out what's the best way to use quantum computers for machine learning. So that's why I think it's a very exciting area. So... I've been thinking indeed a little bit about this uh, over the last year. And so one of the things also I, uh, I've been thinking about was the problem of benchmarking these models. So we talked a little bit about this direction where you can use the quantum optical computers and the, the relation to probabilistic numeric CNN and so on. But, uh, you know, in general, the problem here is that we do not have these devices to run the quantum neural networks at scales that we would like right now, Right. So what do we do? Certainly, we can indeed, based on intuition and small experiments, figure out what are the most promising models. Another thing that uh, I worked on was to also try to find an interpolation between you know, your classical neural net and a quantum neural net. Hmm. So basically, we came up with this uh, quantum-deformed neural networks, which uh, is, uh, you know, is some work I did also with Maxwell. And um, so the idea here is that you can think about your classical neural network uh, as embedded in a quantum computer. And in fact, uh, the architecture we are thinking about now is the qubit architecture, which is an interesting relation you know, to binary neural nets, because you know, a qubit is basically the quantum equivalent of a bit. And so there is a relation with quantization of neural network that you can also explore using quantum mechanics and so on. But the most interesting thing is that, indeed, we uh, managed to map uh, this binary neural nets or probabilistic binary neural nets, in fact, on a quantum computer using qubits. And then we started to deform this model, so to introduce gates, which use pure quantum effects like entanglement and superposition. And so we do that in a way that we slowly interpolate between a regime which we can simulate classically, which is basically the classical neural net regime, and the regime, you know, which is... Uh, basically uh, intractable classically, which will require a quantum computer. 
And along the way, there is some intermediate regime where you can still do some classical simulations using some tools uh, from quantum physics, which are called tensor networks. And basically, this allows you to start from a good you know, prior somehow for your model, which is this classical network, deform it by doing this indeed, these modifications. And then you can you know, use the classical simulations of the quantum model to learn that. So that you can implement it as a differentiable program. And so we show actually some modest gains with respect to the classical neural net by introducing these quantum gates. And we can actually provide you know, the first example where you can simulate a quantum model at the scale of real-world data. So that was interesting for us. But yeah, more generally, you know, there are many indeed the different directions at the moment also related to optimization problems. So we talked about combinatorial optimization, right? And machine learning and also you know quantum computing is also an exciting area for exploring new algorithms for combinatorial optimization so yeah to summarize indeed the uh, quantum ai i think is a very interesting direction and also i also think that the machine learning for combinatorial optimization is a very interesting direction so this is also pretty recent and i believe that here we will see large-scale adoption of this technique because it has been shown recently that you can actually enhance your classical solvers for you know, integer linear programs or stuff like that, which you know, people use routinely for solving their problems in the industry. You can actually augment with neural networks these solvers in such a way that the decisions that these solvers make are better informed and basically are faster. Mm-hmm. And the idea here is that uh, you, know, you can adapt basically your, your uh, solver to the data distribution that you really care to solve. A delivery company will, will uh, routinely solve you know, the traveling salesman problem in the same city. You know, it will not uh, want to deal with the most arbitrary hard instances of the traveling salesman problem. And this is where machine learning, I think, will really put an edge. So it will allow you, you know, to tailor your optimization algorithm to the instances that you care about and ultimately, this you know, leads to better performance for combinatorial optimization solvers. And also, potentially, it allows you to discover new strategies, like using reinforcement learning, as we have seen in you know, AlphaGo, AlphaFold. So super mm-hmm. exciting field, I think. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Roberto, thanks so much for sharing a bit about what you're working on and what some of the folks in your team are, are working on at ICLR. Uh, it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you, Sam. Pleasure for me, too. Thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.